Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. What are your goals worth to you? For the boys of St. Francis Academy in Baltimore, Maryland, the answer is everything. In a world where results are your only receipt, I'm Victor Cruz, and I'm your host for HBO's The Cost of Winning podcast. You know, greatness is not a result. You know, it's a standard of the way you carry yourself and the way you approach life and the way you bring everything together. I think greatness comes from your circle, the people around you, the way you carry yourself, the things that you want to aspire to become. That's what greatness tailors around. Greatness only wraps around people that have those attributes and those things that carry them across to the next phase of their life or brings them to that next chapter, so to speak. So when you look at the boys at St. Francis Academy and you look at the things that they go through. It's just incredible for them to go through these things and go through the inner city of Baltimore faced with those challenges and faced with those different ups and downs. And they understand that the work ethic is going to be the biggest key for them. And as we go through this journey, as we continue to go down this path, um, we're going to see an incredible amount of storylines, an incredible amount of people and young boys that just understand what's being asked of them and have a tremendous support staff on their respective football team that really helped them bridge the gap from where they are now and where they're going in the future. I'm your host, Victor Cruz, and this is episode one of HBO's The Cost of Winning podcast. I'm sure when you clicked on this football series, man, and you started to get into the storyline, you probably thought you were getting your same run-of-the-mill football story, you know, about a good group of kids that are just out there doing their thing in football, but you find out very, very quickly that this is a lot different, right? I mean, when you hear the story and you hear about no practice field, they have to go around each and every day figuring out where to practice. And it goes back to me, right, playing in Patterson Catholic. If anybody knew us, we played in the swamp, like we called it the swamp in the back of our high school, and we barely had grass. It was just a patch it was mud god forbid it ran every time we saw it raining everybody be like man this is some bullshit you know what i'm saying we about to be outside in this rain practicing but now you put yourself in these kids shoes they don't have a practice field they have to figure out where to practice every day and if there's weather issues they got to figure out how where to practice inside or have a walkthrough you know what i'm saying there's no track they don't have anything they have spray ladders in the streets literally ladders that they spray painted onto the ground so they can get their agility drills right i mean you could really see that this is a triumph from the trenches story like if you can't envision yourself as one of these kids in this inner city moving around and facing the challenges that they've faced each and every day you feel that 
the first five minutes into this story, into this series with these kids. And I think it starts with the attitude of Coach Poji, right? Like he's been through the ringer. He understands what this is. And kudos to him for putting his money where his mouth is, so to speak, and putting the money up to start this football program and build it up to a powerhouse. And now that it's a powerhouse, nobody would play them, right? 2015, they went winless had zero wins. By the time they got up to 2017, they went 10 and 0. They were undefeated and they were on their way to becoming one of those major powerhouse schools. So I think when you hear these stories, when you hear these young kids talk about where they came from, when you listen to their families and the things that they go through on a daily basis, it's really just going to strike a chord for you. It's really going to bring this around full circle, no matter where you're from, no matter what walk of life you come from, whether you're from the hood or whether you're from the suburbs, whether you've had a, a rough childhood or where it was relatively easy for you. I think you'll find an empathetic way to relate to each and every one of these stories. And I can't wait for us to kind of dive in deeper to each storyline and get to know these kids and get to know these stories a lot better. Let's talk about episode one a little bit. The player's environment, living in East Baltimore amidst constant crime and violence, takes center stage in the first episode. I want to call attention to a moving clip that showcases the everyday reality for the players of St. Francis. Take a listen. It does not make logical sense that St. Francis is still in existence. St. Francis was founded in 1828. It's the oldest school in the country serving predominantly African-American students. It was founded by a free black woman of Caribbean descent to teach children of color how to read the Bible. It's been in this location on Chase Street for 150 years. St. Francis, in many respects, is a diamond in the rough, in this case, literally, because there's a prison right in the backyard, literally, in the backyard. I suppose it drills the message into a group of kids that you make the wrong choice, and maybe the best thing that happens to you is that you end up in that prison. It speaks, unfortunately, to where Baltimore is now. In the center of one of Baltimore's toughest neighborhoods, survival is a daily struggle for St. Francis Academy and its students. Baltimore surpasses almost every major city when it comes to homicide numbers. You know, I'm 13 years old, and my cousin getting shot 16 times. Uh, it will really mess you up. Some weekends, 12 people, 14 people get shot. Like, it's just. It's just crazy, like, the city getting out of hand. Now, that's incredible, right? Like, there's a prison literally in the backyard of this school. If that doesn't give you a tremendous reminder and just brings it all full circle on what these kids face on a daily basis, I mean, the school is 100-plus years old, founded by a Caribbean woman, you know, really placed there for people, and black people specifically, to have a place to go, to hone their skills, and for that school to still be where it is today, in the heart of Baltimore, in the heart of a crime-riddled city where people are dying, and, you know, at any age, it doesn't matter, you know, an age bracket 
terms of the death tolls that are being taken place in that respective city. It just brings everything full circle about how this show and this series is going to be incredible and it's going to bring you through a journey that you probably didn't expect when you first started clicking on this podcast and started picking uh, something to watch for today. I'm sure you started off one way and then by the end of it, it really changed dramatically. At least it did for me in terms of how these boys go through their daily lives and the pressures that they're facing each and every day. My guest today is high fashion designer Dapper Dan. Dapper Dan is known for his iconic luxury pattern designs and his atelier, which still serves the Harlem community to this day. His well-known store, Dapper Dan's Boutique, operated from 1982 to 1992 and was extremely influential in introducing high fashion to the hip-hop world. I spoke with Dapper Dan about how he got his start in the fashion industry, rising to the top, and advice he has for young people who aspire to follow in his footsteps. Here's that conversation. Dapper Dan, without further ado, I want to introduce Dapper Dan. Thank you for joining us on, on the, the Cost of Winning, HBO's The Cost of Winning podcast, Dapper. I appreciate you. How are you doing? I'm doing great, man. Thank you for having me, man. I'm always interested in talking to the people, man, to the grassroots people, telling them what it was like, man, so they know what they expect. Yeah, I'm very happy to be here. Yeah, let's get right into it, man. You, you, you're from the real Harlem, that like OG Harlem, like the real you know, trenches and how it was and how dudes had to hustle and just make their way and figure it out from the bottom up. Talk to me a little bit about what Harlem looked like back then, what your struggles were early on before you really, um, you know, found your niche and found your wave in, in the fashion industry and uh, and just your whole, just your time, your time frame being in, in Harlem around the essence of what was going on. Oh, you know what? The biggest thing about growing up in Harlem during, during the times that I was growing up, I'm the first generation of the, make, of the big uh, migration that came out of the South, you know? Both of my parents are from a little tiny town, USA. You know, Emporia, Virginia, population 6,000 when they left. Uh, that's where my father's from. My mother's from uh, um, Bishopville, South Carolina, population 6,000 when she left. So what made me have so much energy and learn so much is that being the first generation in New York, Everybody who came from the South, all the older people came from the South, they was like ready to go. The weak ones went back. The strong ones stayed here. So that's who I learned from, you know. I learned from the strong people who say, I'm not going back. And that's what my father and mother was like, you know. My father only went to the third grade, but he wasn't having it, man. You know, he made it work. And then I watched him. I said, man, I ain't going for no kind of game, you know. My father ain't going for no kind of game, so yeah. I was determined to make it, man. Talk to me about that, that that neighborhood, right? What did you pull from, from the neighborhoods, right? A lot of times you hear from these, you know, these triumph from the trenches stories and you hear the, the rags, the riches and all of that stuff. But, like, tell me about what inspired you and what you pulled from that neighborhood early on that still probably rocks with you to this day. You know what? The two major points that I learned when I was growing up, one was from my father, Right? And the other one was from the best hustler in Harlem at the time. So all the guys who taught me about the street growing up, you know, all of them had bad habits. And then when I started taking notice to my father, my father didn't have no bad habits. He ain't drink, he ain't smoking, he ain't do nothing. Like the dudes who taught me how to hustle, I said, damn, he don't smoke, he don't drink, he don't do nothing. You know what I'm saying? But you know what amazed me about both of them? My father only went to the third grade. I wow. said, damn, look at this, man. So that was my inspiration. My inspiration is like the only missing thing 
I got to, you know, teach myself how to read, man. And read my way out of any situation, anything I want to learn, you know. That was my cue. Was that the biggest lesson you think you learned that was learning like how to read and how to using that reading to get whatever you needed to get and, and really elevate yourself and continue to prove to yourself that you could do anything you want as long as you knew how to read and put things together and put words together, whether it's a contract or whatever it was. Was that the biggest lesson you learned, you think? That's the biggest lesson was reading. You know, when I found out, like when I was in junior high school growing up and like the teachers, they didn't have high expectations of, of us, you know? So I said to myself, I got something for them. They think that we're not going to read. And if we read, we ain't going to understand. And if we understand, we ain't going to be able to implement it. I went over all of that. You know what I'm saying? I said, man, I'm going to read. I'm going to understand it. I'm not stopping until I understand it, man. And then I implemented that information. You know what's the biggest thing about my education from the street? What I found out from reading and going to like these convention centers to learn about textiles and stuff like that. When you black and you see a machine that was designed by white people for their design purposes, you see it through black eyes. I say, oh, that's how they use it, but that's not how I'm gonna use it. I'm gonna use it like this. That's what led me into everything I ever did. I said, wow. So that's when you hear me say, I blackenize everything. Everything I look at, I look at it through black eyes and I, and I, and I, and I draw it in like that. And I said, man, I know what I'm going to do with that. I ain't going that way. I'm going that way. So that's that's what our culture is about, about, you know? Use your eyes. Look. I want to dig deeper on that because I feel like black people do that with everything, right? Like as soon as we see some, we look at them and be like, okay, how, do, how does this apply to my neighborhood and to my people? Like how does this apply to what I got going on? And I think that's what, you, when you look at these kids and their environment, right? They're growing up in East Baltimore, Dap, and the way that they, you know, similar to us, I grew up in Patterson, New Jersey, you in Harlem, of course, you hear gunshots at night, you hear fights all the time up the block, you hear, you hear all of that all the time. And for these kids to go through that and still make it through, I think it's a testament to how they understand and see things through black eyes, right? Like these kids see gunshots or people dying around them, they're just so numb to it that they just keep it rolling. They just keep pushing. They just keep going on with daily life. And I think my question for you is how did you, what was it about designing and being a fashion designer that kept you pushing through life? What was it about seeing things through those black eyes consistently over and over and over again that led you to keep being consistent in what you wanted to become? The biggest element, you know, Victor, that I had to look at and that was a great asset to me, I was born poor, holes in my shoes, right? So growing up, right? I automatically learned how to do bad because I grew up doing bad. You follow what I'm saying? So in the fashion industry and in industry as a whole, you know, everybody knows how to do good. You know how to live if you're doing good. But if you know how to do bad and then continue, then you have the element, man. So when it came time and they keep crushing me, kept stepping in, stepping on me, was no problem, man. I know how to do bad. You know what I mean? All I did is just kept on trekking along, man, until I was doing good. But so the, the key thing is, man, know how to do bad, man. Take the licks and get up. That's what I learned early on from the older people. Take them licks and get up, man. And these kids, man, these kids are taking the licks. I mean, this is the most triumph from the trenches story that I've watched in a very long time because, it, you know, they was in a league that, right, an MIAA, and that league pretty much banned them, didn't want them to play because they were too good and really let them 
out of the league, wouldn't play them. Was like, man, get out of here. We're not playing y'all. Y'all too tough. Y'all too difficult. Y'all too strong. We're not playing y'all in this league. And it's similar. It reminds me of your story, right? All these companies, now that you started to ascend and people started to wear your product, um, similar to them, was like, okay, y'all are too good now. Y'all can't play in this league with us no more. Talk to me about your mindset, which I'm sure could help these kids and help their mindset as they continue to battle that and move forward. What was your mindset when you got those season assists and had to go back to the streets and figure out how to hustle again? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. my mindset was that I always knew, and my parents told me from you, you had to be better than them. You had to be exceptional you know we needed to be exceptionalism leads to excellence right so when i went when i went to start out and i went to buy clothes wholesale so that i could sell them you know and they wouldn't sell to me i said okay i gotta figure out how to make these same clothes but how to make them better than what they made them you know and so that's what i focused on i focused on how to do it better than it's being done all our athletes are athletes like you you prove it all the time they don't let you in the door you show them that you're better than the ones that's in the room you know and so that's what i did man i concentrated on being excellent you know and being exceptional man you know and you know just like yourself man you had to give up certain elements in your personality in your environment you had to walk away from to pursue that path of excellency, man. So that's what I did, man. I focused on being better than what they they are. I want to talk about that sacrifice a little bit, Dap. I think people don't understand the things that you have to sacrifice a lot, right? Like me, right? I had to go to a prep school in Maine just to get myself from point A to point B. Like that level of sacrifice, leaving home, going to a place that's unfamiliar, you know, around people that are unfamiliar. That when I got to that prep school, nothing was the closest thing to us was a laundromat, and it was an hour away. Like, like that was like that was how close uh, things. Like that was the level of sacrifice. That was the transition I made from going from Patterson, New Jersey, having my friends around, doing what I wanted to do on the weekends, to going to Maine and being like, "What? Like, what is this?" You know what I'm saying? So, I think I want to talk about the sacrifices you made. What were some of those sacrifices you had to make? in order to get to where you want to be now that people may not have heard of or people may not even realize that you made those sacrifices coming up? Uh, the biggest sacrifice I have, man, is probably the most painful. When I decided to walk away from the corners that I wasn't going to never sell no drugs or anything like that again, man. So I was 23 years old, right? When I decided to walk away from the streets and never be a part of it again, man. And I, 20, and I had like only went to the ninth grade. The sacrifice I had to make, the Urban League had an educational program, and I enrolled in that educational program and had to go back to high school, the special high school they had, and all these kids is like 17 and 18, and I'm sitting up in there day after day, and I'm seeing these young kids going through that stuff that I went through. So I'm coming out of that, and I'm watching them go into that, man. But being around that every day, seeing that every day, so pulling away from the corner, is the biggest sacrifice. If you could walk away from that corner and go home instead of hanging out on the corner, that's the biggest sacrifice. That's the hardest thing to do because you build up so many habits associated with that corner, man. That corner will lock you down. So my biggest sacrifice was learning how to walk away from all that negative stuff. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing for all these kids to listen to and to understand because you know growing up in East Baltimore, every time they're walking home or every time they're out and about in public, um, they're definitely facing some sort of setback or facing some sort of adversity. And it may not even be adversity. It might just be friends 
being out, right? And they hanging with them and just being outside on the weekend and being out in the streets, um, you know, that's the stuff that could really get them in trouble. And, you know, moving forward, I think, you know, I, in my skill, I think both of us, what's unique about each of us, Dap, is that we both used our skill, right, to make it to the next level. My skill was football, and we use, I used that as a foundation to make it to the next level. Um, and then your skill was designing and a people person. I think when I see you, Dap, and I'm walking by in Harlem and you outside just doing your thing, and the amount of people that just show you love and the amount of people that just – you know, understand who you are, understand, not just show you love, but understand where you come from. I think that's the biggest thing for me. And what, what's a piece of advice you would give to these kids um, just moving forward about being themselves, you know, not being, a, not, not being a quitter, not, not understanding that they're sacrificing everything. What's some advice you would give to these kids uh, moving forward? The biggest advice that I would give to them and what changed me is thinking about your thought process. What I realized early on when I changed my life is like when you free yourself up from a certain system of thinking, you elevate yourself to another level of thinking. So I think it's the thought process. But think about what you think about. Just look around. That's what I have to do. And I do that today, man. I look around and say, damn, what am I thinking about? And why am I thinking about that? You know what I'm saying? But so young people got today, they got to like, if you're thinking about the same thing all these other kids are thinking about, you're headed for the same problems they're heading for, you know? So it's, the bottom line to all this, what I'm trying to say is, man, think about what's your thought process and where is it taking you, man, you know? Because that's what locks you in. I want to dig deeper on that thought process, Dap. I think it's funny you say that because I remember being a kid, right, and all I was thinking about was, like, how do I make it to the league? How do, what do I have to do to make it to the next level? What did I have to do to continue to put my best foot forward and make sure that I'm playing at the highest level? But I will always envision it. I think that's the biggest thing is, like, these kids have to envision it. Think about it. Think about where you want to end up. Think about where you want to be when it's all said and done. Talk to me about you know, your thought process when you were going through your ups and downs, just like myself, right, going coming in and out of school and eligible, I had my fair share of ups and downs. What was your thought process during the ups and downs? Were you always looking at the light at the end of the tunnel, like, oh, I'm always going to make it here? Like, what was your thought process throughout the trials and tribulations? Well, the first thing I did, and, sp and I did this in fashion as well, is to look at why people fail, you know, to look at why people fail. You know, a lot of people take a lot of time to look at what, how people succeed, but they don't know what they're going through. So I look at, like, why people fail. Uh, a case in point, you look at uh, from the time that they ran me underground to the time that I came out from the underground, the, the black fashion houses escalated. But they didn't look at what I was doing, and so they failed. And then when they failed, the European brands stepped in and took over the street style. And that's what happens today. So the same thing that I was selling and the street style that was selling like crazy, you follow what I'm saying? They didn't look at the blueprint, so they failed. Then the European brands stepped in, started making the same thing on a higher level, giving them better quality, stuff like that. Didn't have everybody looking like they was from the corner. They bought, I, they ran me underground for making luxury clothes. The brands that evolved after that made corner clothes, street clothes. They didn't understand. We can make luxury. We luxury people. We kings and queens. We can continue to make kings and queens clothes, but we make corner clothes. That's all right. Corner clothes is all right, but we have to have them luxury brands. So they didn't fill that void. 
So the European brand stepped in. So my answer to this is like, if you want to be successful, you want to understand, man. You got you to gotta look at the blueprint. You got to look at the failure and why I succeed and figure your space out. Yeah, I love the, what you said about failure. You know, one of the lines in the intro to this thing is winning is the biggest fear of failure, not just on the core, on the, in the design room. It doesn't even matter. It's the biggest fear of failing. And I think for the black community in general, especially in sports, right, the fear of failure is what drives us all. Like we understand what failure is. We grew, we grew up around the failure. We understand what that is. Um, so I think the fear of failing again, once we get this little bit of, you know, the thing about the black community, once we get a little bit, once we get a little taste, we'll never let it go. We just going to keep rocking with it. We're going to grow it. We're going to grab a hold to it. And I think that's the biggest thing for us as a community to understand is that failure is going to drive us to succeed in places that we never even thought were imaginable. Right. Yeah, that, that's that's very important, man. Like and it goes back to what I'm saying, man, is failure. You have to know how to lose, man, and get up, you know? Failure is about those who wouldn't want, didn't keep getting up, you know? My whole life is about, I'm going to get up, you know? I think a, a lesson my brother told me, like, he said, listen, man, I got three older brothers. He said, listen, man, if you get in a fight and somebody bothering you and you let them hit you and you don't do nothing, they're going to keep hitting you, you know? He said, but if you hitting them back, you know, they ain't going to be so anxious to keep hitting you. You know, and when you see them tomorrow, they, if you don't hit them but one time, when you see them tomorrow, they don't even want that one. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I don't care if they hit you 15. They don't want that one you're going to get them, man. So I'm getting up. I'm going to get up, and I'm going to keep hitting them back. You know what I mean? I got two more things for you. That One, I got to come get another jacket because this one's looking good on me. I got to come and break bread with you again at some point and get me another jacket made because I'm looking too good on this set right now. But... Man, you be flying every occasion I see you, man. Come on, man. Don't try to play like you ain't got that game going on. I don't been up there taking pictures with you, Jack. You lazy cow, man. I was worried today. I said, I better be, I better have my I better have my joint on. Okay, all right. I can't hide from that one. You win that. You write that. But I think um, for my final question, I just want to ask you that uh, you've affected so many lives, man, with your story, with your inspiration with just who you are, just being yourself. I think people are inspired just by seeing you and they understand where you came from. The minute you hear the name Dapper Dan or the minute they see you in person, they understand your struggle and, and, and your story and what you've been through and what you mean to the culture because you have a very, very strong um, you know, deal and, and powerful movement in this culture that people need to understand. They need to understand your story. What's next for Dapper Dan? What does the next 100 years look like for Dapper? Because I feel like you're going to live forever, Dapper. You ain't never going away from us. What's important, Victor, what I do now is like, what I've done has been a movement, right? I don't want this to be just a moment. I want it to continue as a movement. That's why I'm always going to be in Harlem, and I'm going to bring as much advantageous things to Harlem as I can. When I had my store open, I had 12 Africans working in the daytime, 11 at night. I was open 365 days a year, right, for nine years straight. You know, I, I couldn't get regular Americans to work because everybody was in the street then. But I say that to say this, any industry that I bring into the community, I'm gonna make sure they employ us. So what I'm looking forward to is with my new partnerships is bringing industry into the neighborhood, not residents, but industry into the neighborhood that's going to employ us 
and give us the opportunity to move up that ladder because we need to see how it's done to get it done. That's my goal, man. So you're going to always see Dapper Dan in Harlem, man. You know, always. You can see me on the corner, on the bus, on the train, standing in front of my atelier. Just ask Harlem. They'll tell you. Yeah, that's facts. I love that, Dap, man. We appreciate you. You are a focal point and a pillar in this community, not just in Harlem, but all over the world. Your name rings bells, man. And I think I want you to know that. I'm sure you know that, but it's different when someone tells it to you. So um, I commend you on everything that you've done. And I'm just uh, I'm just here to learn from you, Dap. I'm gonna pull up on you at some point in time, and we'll chop it up in a deeper form. But thank you for doing this for us, man. We appreciate you. We love you, and I'll see you soon. Thank you, man. I'm so proud of you, man. We can do this again anytime you want, man. Anytime, man. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure talking to you, Dap. Be well. Have a good weekend, baby. Oh, uh, you too. Thank you. All right, peace. Thank you to our guest, Dapper Dan, for joining us on episode one of the Cost of Winning podcast. This podcast was produced by HBO and Driven Society. You can stream HBO's The Cost of Winning on HBO Max. The Cost of Winning podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, HBO Max, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with episode two on Friday.